Haggai. Chapter 1, we're going to read the whole chapter. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it. And that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land, and the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. Verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. And the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. That's the word of the Lord. Isn't that good? I think the main point today from this text, I think what the Lord wants to say to all of us is seek first, like Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the other things will be added to you. So I think that's 
in essence, the point of this text and hopefully this sermon. I I think the Lord wants to impart faith to you. Verse 7, saw this several times. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. The Lord is saying, consider your ways and... And he wants these, these folks to look at their ways, and, and then he wants to speak to them. And I think he wants to, to do that to, to you. But this is not, I don't think, a word of correction. I think it's a word of encouragement. Because I think you are folks who are seeking first the kingdom of God. I think you're investing your time. I think you're investing your finances in building this church plan, Grace Church. And I think the Lord wants to encourage you and, and say, I'm with you. I think he wants to encourage you that you're wise to do this. I just met with some of our uh, small group leaders, and, and I was trying to encourage them because they're, a lot of them are young and they have families and they're crazy busy uh, as Kevin DeYoung says, you know, crazy busy. And we live in a culture, it's just hard not to be. And I know some of you, it is amazing how you're investing in this church. Uh, and what I tried to say to them was, you know, thanks, but also you're, you're wise to do this. And if, if we hear the message of Haggai, I think he will say to us that you're, you're doing the right thing and it's going to lead to blessings in your life. When you sacrifice personally to serve the Lord, the Lord provides. He provides. He blesses your efforts. So when you sacrifice for his house, he blesses your house. And this is not just Haggai. I I wrote down a number of scriptures. I won't read them all, but, you know, Proverbs 11, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, and only suffers want. Second Corinthians 9, 6, Paul said, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give, he's talking about an offering, as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every work. So Old Testament, New Testament, uh, we see throughout Scripture, the Lord just makes a promise that when you sacrifice like this. So I walked through the children's ministry. I talked to my friend Evelyn, and she just said, what a joy it is to be a part of this church because there's so much to do, so much work to do. Our whole family gets to be serving. You know, most people don't think like that. That's faith in action. And I want to encourage that. Uh, I hope this text does that. I, I think my job today is to impart faith to you in this church plan, that the Lord is going to bless these efforts, all that you're investing, and you're wise to do this. According to God's Word, if it's true, if God's Word is true, then the Lord is saying, yes, when you sacrifice, I will supernaturally provide. So I want to pray for you before we look closely at this text and ask Him to impart faith to you. That as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be provided. So, Lord, I come with this congregation, Lord, and we, 
humble ourselves before you. We need faith, Lord. We need faith. We need to hear the word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai. Lord, I, I love this text. And I've thought about this text. And I have prepared a sermon. But Lord, we need the sacred anointing of Your Spirit to understand and receive the faith that You intend through this text. So this is no formality that we're pausing before we look closely at these Scriptures to ask Your help. I need help to speak. We all need grace to hear the Word of the Lord and to have it sink into our soul and change our lives and give us faith that we so desperately need. So Lord, we come to you today and we ask, in the name of Jesus Christ, Lord, let this time together, these few minutes we have in your word, let them impact us. Let them encourage us. Let every member of this congregation be strengthened in their inner man for the glory of God, that they may serve your purposes In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to, just a a little uh, background. Most of you probably um, know a lot about Haggai. I've had a little cold, so I'm going to have to drink a little water today. I'm sorry. It's either that or start coughing uncontrollably. So Haggai's one of the minor prophets, and he's in the Old Testament. So I heard one guy say, you know, he's got two things to overcome, two obstacles. One, Old Testament, not as good as the new, right? And minor prophet. Why don't we go to one of the big boys? You know, it's kind of like a minor league baseball team. You know, who wants to go see the, you know, Knoxville Smokies? You want to you go see the Washington Nationals, right? Now, you didn't have to be that into, you know. You've never even seen the Smokies. Maybe they're good. But it's really important for us to, to recognize that God has chosen to speak to us in all of His Word. And three-fourths of His Word is Old Testament. Now, that doesn't make the Old Testament better than the New, but it does mean that we need to heed what the Old Testament says. The, the New Testament was never meant to replace the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we have centuries of God dealing with His people. And we can learn so much about God and His ways with His people that the New Testament never covers. The New Testament only covers about 30 to 40 years. So the Old Testament is, is critical. Mark Dever, many of you would know him. He's a pastor in the D.C. area. He says, The Old Testament presents the riddle to which Jesus Christ is the answer. And you won't understand the answer nearly as well without understanding the riddle. And and minor prophet doesn't mean unimportant prophet. It means, for the most part, short. (laughs) The minor prophets are just shorter. So the major prophets are just longer. So if you look at Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, you're going to find they're going to be longer than, than Haggai, which is the second shortest book in the Old Testament. But the minor prophets were, were very influential. And they're, they're writing at a critical uh, period in the history of God's people, in the, in the lives of the Jewish people, from 8th century B.C. to the 5th century. 
And God was at work uh, among them. If you look in verses 1 through 3 here, they, they introduced the book of Haggai with a pre- precise date, August 29th, 520 B.C. So we can nail down Haggai. We know right when his short ministry took place. It's only two chapters in this book, and he preached for about 15 weeks. It appears he was an old man. He may have been an old man that had seen the original temple that they're now uh, rebuilding. And, and now he has come along and he is preaching God's word at a time when the Jewish people have been restored to Jerusalem. And you're familiar with this, I'm sure. Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, they are talking about the Jewish people returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and rebuild the city. It's been a miracle. Cyrus the Persian has conquered Babylon, and now he's given this edict that God had prophesied that the people can come back. But as they were doing this, they got discouraged. And they are experiencing opposition. And now the Lord has sent his prophet, the preacher, Haggai. And he's going into a discouraged people who are small with a big task, with lots of opposition. And he's an encourager. He's a preacher. And he is proclaiming God's word. I don't know about you, but I like this message. I need this message. And so that, that's what is happening. The word of the Lord is consider your ways. The, the message of the prophet is essentially God's word. So he says a number of times, verse 2, thus says the Lord of hosts. So the scriptures are God's inspired words. And it's so easy when you hear the prophet say, and he says to us today, thus says the Lord. So you can receive this and hear this as directly for you. You can't get away from this sense that he's speaking the very word of God and it's powerful. And he will repeatedly say, you'll read this, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai. He says it more than any other prophet, just again and again, thus says the Lord of hosts. So when I was reading the text, I just love that. Just keep repeating. I wish every text of the Bible just kept saying that to remind us God's word is coming to us through the scriptures. And his message is, consider your way. Verse 5. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. So he wants them, he says this three times, consider your ways. And then he, he wants them to consider three things. And we'll look at three points as they consider their ways. Your house is paneled and mine is in ruins. Number two, I am not blessing you. And then they repent and he stirs their hearts and then he says, I am with you. So as they consider their ways initially, your house is paneled, mine is in ruins. Secondly, I am not blessing you. And then they repent, and he says, he makes a promise, I am with you, and we'll end with that, and hopefully that'll, that'll be encouraging. So number one, consider your ways. Your house is paneled, and mine is in ruins. The word of the Lord is, my house lies in ruin, verse 9, while each of you is crazy busy 
with his own house. That's the word. So he says in verse 2, here's, here's the issue. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. They've decided now isn't the time. That's why the temple's in ruins. It's not finished because they had started out and they were rebuilding the temple. If you read Ezra, you can read all about it. And they've decided now because of the opposition and the difficulties, it's just not the time for this. And so they're discouraged and they are, they are not fulfilling the task. And you know you're in trouble when the prophet quotes you. Verse, verse 2, the prophet says, These people say, The time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. So after rebuilding for a while, they saw the opposition and decided, It's a good time now to wait. Stopping, that's a good idea. It's time to quit. And, and when the situation is more favorable, that'll be the time to rebuild the temple. You know, other prophets had said it would be 70 years before the remnant returned. So some people speculate that maybe they were thinking, we, you know, we came early. You know, it's not time yet. But there, there's a great application point for us here. I think it's, it's, we should never think of difficulty and adversity as meaning it's not the time. That just isn't true. Uh, in fact... The normal Christian life, normal Christian service is just going to be filled with opposition, adversity, and, and difficulty. Thank, hold your applause, please. <laughs> it's, it's rarely the, it rarely feels like the right time. It rarely feels. Uh, I'm not near as old as Larry, but I've been doing this a long time. And, uh, you know, it just never feels like it's easy, does it? And a lot of you guys have been serving the Lord for many years. And it, it's, just, it's just going to be always, God's work is always going to be opposed. And uh, we have an adversary. We don't want to be ignorant of his schemes. And, and um, we live in a fallen world. And it's just never going to be easy to accomplish God's task. In, in God's wisdom, that's the way it will always be. And verses 3 and 4, Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you? So they've said now, it's, it's not the time to build God's house. So now the question is, is it time for you, yourselves, to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? So the, the result of them deciding now is not the time. Opposition, difficulty, it's a good time to quit. It's a good time to wait. The result is that their houses are doing great. But, but the temple, God's house, lies in ruins. They're neglecting God's work, but they're working hard on their own personal projects. They're busy about many things that are necessary for them, but they are neglecting to do what God has called them to do. Rebuild the temple. Okay, now just pause for a minute. Is that important? If you know your Old Testament, that's a big deal, right? 
They are being called to do something that is very important. It's a privilege to be involved rebuilding the temple. He's asking this rhetorical question. Is it time for you to dwell? The answer, if you're discerning, is no, really not. (laughs) No, they have placed their own comfort ahead of God's calling on their life. Paneled, verse 4, you know, it's, it's like, I don't know, tongue and groove, whatever. That it, it speaks of luxury. Your houses are nice, man. Not just, you know, the necessities. It's nice. It's luxurious. It's paneled. It's added comfort. At the same time that they've worked to get these luxuries in their houses... They, they have said that now is not the time to sacrifice for God's purposes. So the temple was lying in ruins. And then my favorite verse, verse 8. I could just see Haggai go up to those hills and bring wood and build the house. <laughs> he was not friendly at this moment. Thus says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Go up to those hills And you get the wood and you build the house. You know, sometimes the Lord speaks like that. Sometimes the purposes of the Lord are so clear. And the Lord exhorts with a strong word from the prophet. Look, this, you know, I I don't picture this as being warm and fuzzy. The tabernacle, the temple, was the place where God's people experienced His presence. It was the grace of God. In Exodus 25, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. That's what we're talking about. This is an important task. They're neglecting and their houses are paneled. They're living in luxury. But the place where God says, I will dwell in your midst here is lying in ruins This is where God would disclose Himself. This is where God would have communion with His people, the temple. When, When Solomon dedicated the temple, he asked a great question. Will God really dwell on earth? And 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 Solomon said, The heavens, even the highest heavens, can't contain you. How much less this temple? That I have built. It's a, it's a great question. And yet by the grace of God. He would do just that. Psalm 63. The psalmist says. I've looked upon you in this sanctuary. sanctuary beholding your power. And your glory. And so understand that when Haggai says. Get up on that hill. And get that wood. And build this house. It's important. And, and see why it's important. Verse 8 again, that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified. That God's grace may be glorified as He reveals Himself and dwells with His people. Secondly, the Lord says, consider your ways. I am not blessing you. Verse 6, you've sown much, harvested little, you eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves. No one is warm. 
And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. This is the sovereign God providentially ruling his universe. And he is messing up things for them. His house is in ruins. His people are not serving his purposes. They're living in luxury. And he is not sitting back idly. He says, consider your ways. Look what's going on. That's me. It's like you're putting money into a bag with holes in it. Proverbs 11 says, one gives freely, grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give, but he suffers want. The righteous, Proverbs 13, has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the belly of the wicked suffers want. The Lord rules in his creation. And they are experiencing the discipline of the Lord for their good and for his glory. They are suffering want. It's like their wages are going into a bag with holes in it. It's not that they're not working. It's just God is intervening providentially. What normally would meet their needs isn't working. Because God is intervening. And, and the money's just going out the holes. Seek first the kingdom. Everything else will be added to you. God will bless it. It's a biblical principle. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Give to God first. Serve God first. Invest in God's purposes first. And He will bless you. So remember, the point is, this is not a corrective word. It was for them. But it's not for Grace Church. For Grace Church, it's an encouragement. It's encouragement to Evelyn. When she says, I just love being in a place we have to work a lot. (laughs) Love being in a place where there's just all these opportunities to serve. See, it's an encouragement to her and Joey and their family and to you to say, yes, yes. And that's why you have so much joy in your soul. The Lord is pleased with this. You're glorifying Him. And you can expect it. It, It's throughout Scripture. Just expect the Lord to, to bless you in this. Haggai communicates with these poetic pairs. They all say the same thing. All your effort is in vain. A lean harvest. Food that doesn't satisfy. Watery wine. Clothes that don't keep them warm. Income that doesn't meet expenses. So all of that is just the Haggai communicating. It's it's in vain. Everything you're doing, it's not working. And it's not going to work because I'm, I'm calling you back to me. These are the hardships that are faced by God's people when, when they don't include the Lord in their plans. When they get preoccupied with their, their own interests. And the Lord is just a loving Heavenly Father and He'll discipline us. Just like we love our children. He's our Father in Heaven and, and He's disciplining them. This is grace. This is grace. The Lord is, He wants to have a place to dwell with His people. It's the grace of God. And so He says, go up to the hills and get that wood and build this house so I can take pleasure and I'll be glorified. You'll be blessed. Verse 9. He looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts? Because of my house that lies in ruins while 
Each of you busies himself with his own house. I'm blowing away what you need, the Lord says. Consider your ways. Think about it. He's withdrawn his blessing. It matters whether the Lord is pleased and whether the Lord blesses or not. That's what God's word teaches. It matters. And he promises to to bless his people when when they trust him, when they fear the Lord. That's the equivalent of trusting Christ in the New Testament, in the Old Testament. The fear of the Lord is putting, putting your faith in God and His Word. But each, each man was busy with his own house. No one cared for the house of God, and the Lord was just blowing it away. Verse 10 says, The heavens above you have withheld the dew. They didn't get much rain here, and often the only way for the crops to be watered was the dew. It would come in off the Mediterranean, moisture, and then in, at, in, the, in the nights, it would, it would, as morning broke, it would, it would bring water to the ground and, and water the plants. But God was even withholding the dew, and that's when in that area, then everything was taken away, and they didn't have any grain. They didn't have grapes for their main drink, wine, and they didn't have oil, and it was a great tragedy. But then they, they responded, didn't they? And finally, verse 3, after they respond, the Lord says, I am with you. Verse 12, Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. So they recognized that God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. The leaders and the people respond to the preaching of Haggai, his first sermon. There's five sermons in this little book, and this is his first one. And they respond. They obeyed. They they feared. This is their heartfelt response. They respond with faith. They hear God's word preached. It imparts faith to their heart. And then they obey. They recognize God has sent this man. God is speaking through Haggai. He was a true prophet of the Lord. And there hadn't been a prophet since the exile. And here comes Haggai. And he is preaching. And the Lord stirs their hearts. We should, we should pray today. Lord, stir our hearts. Stir the hearts of this congregation, Lord. It's all of grace. It's all the work of the Spirit. And then the great... Result is verse 13, the Lord declares, I am with you. So he's so gracious. He stirs their heart. He brings the prophet. He proclaims his word. They respond by the grace of God because he's the one who stirred their hearts. And then then he says, I am with you. Now, you need to know when the Lord is with you, everything changes. All is good. All is well. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything else is provided. Everything else is added to you. And there's so many of us. We could spend the rest of the day just giving testimony to this. You say, I've just seen the Lord do this so much. I've just seen the Lord bless me beyond what I deserve. I've seen the Lord provide you know, those of us who are older, we look back 
And we could just tell tales about, I had no idea that it would work out that way. And yet, I saw the Lord answer prayers. I saw the Lord bless. Even when I was unfaithful, He remained faithful. Because He was with us. Can you imagine the encouragement it was to these Jewish exiles? They've been in Babylon. They've come back to Jerusalem. They've experienced opposition. They're rebuilding the temple. They quit. They're reproved by the prophet. They fear the Lord. They obey. And then the, the prophet, the same, the same guy that says, get up on that hill, get that wood, get down here, build this house, and scares you, is the same guy that looks at you and says, the Lord says, now he says, I am with you. I am with you. you imagine what a comfort that was to them? How encouraging that was? Wouldn't that be good? Well, the Lord is saying that to you today. (laughs) That's what He's saying. I am with you. We just sang about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We have the good news. We have a far better promise. That God is with us because of Jesus Christ. We trust in Him and Him alone. And the Lord says, I am with you. This is the essence of revival that we're witnessing. God stirred their hearts. Oh Lord, stir stir our hearts. It's just amazing what can happen. When the Lord begins to work and He begins to move people, He can take a group like this, a congregation like this, and he can do things. You've read about it in church history. I'm always amazed as I, as I read about what people can do when they are inspired, when they have a vision for something, when they want something. I don't know if you've read the book, Boys in the Boat. It's a great book. It's a wonderful read. It's, it's about the Washington rowing team. You know the guys in the boats with that row? Okay, yeah, you're Yankees. You know all about this. Down the south, they don't know what you're talking about when you talk about rowing. But he, it's a book about the Washington rowing team, 1936, in the Olympics, in Berlin. If you haven't read the book, I'm about to ruin it for you. I hate to do this, but Larry said it was okay. They... they at this point in the book, I'm going to read you this little part. It's right in the middle of the, the, the depression. Things were real bad, and they were real bad for these boys in this boat. They, they didn't have anything, and they were struggling to survive. One of the reasons they were rowing so hard is because they needed to eat. And it's inspiring. They won the national championship, and they just won the Olympic trials. And then the, the head of the Olympic committee comes to them and tells the athletic director of Washington that if they wanted to go to the Olympics in Berlin, you you have to know, they they just won this, and it's a huge deal. And they're all, you know, they're partying, they're excited. And then, I mean, just at that moment, he says, if you want to go, you're going to have to pay your own way. And... He says, we just don't have the money. Now, it just so happens he was uh, a major fundraiser for the, the athletic club that came in second place. So if these guys aren't able to finance their way, 
the other team can't. They had plenty of money. So here they were. They come to these boys. Uh, the author says the whole thing stank. It, it, it was bad. And it was crooked. And he, he said that, you know, he knew that these guys had plenty of funds, but out in the state of Washington, there, there just wasn't a lot of money. But they began to make calls. And they, they called some, uh, some of the newspapers, and phones began to ring, and civic leaders got involved, and as you would anticipate. A few hours later, the author says, Seattleites awoke to alarming headlines and radio news bulletins. The entire town went to work. Co-eds on summer break grabbed tin cans and began going door-to-door in their neighborhoods. Uh, one president of the Alumni Association started placing calls to prominent graduates. Thousands of lapel tags were quickly printed up. Students on campus for summer began to sell them for 50 cents apiece. Radio announcers broke into their morning program, started appealing for funds. Uh, The manager of the Pacific Telephone and Telegraph signed on as the chairman of the fundraising committee. Chambers of Commerce all throughout the state of Washington began to raise money and thousands of letters were mailed out to people. And by afternoon, that afternoon, the money and pledges started to pour in. A hefty $500 from the Seattle Times to get things started. $5 from the Hideaway Beer Parlor. $50 from Standard Oil. That's kind of a slam on Standard Oil because they were rich. $1 from a donor who wished to remain anonymous. And they, they just went down. All the boys' towns. And at the end of the second day, they, they sent a $5,000 a certified check, and they got to go to Berlin. Not only had they won, but they had rallied the troops in Washington. And it was just an amazing thing, to an encouraging thing, to picture people sacrificing for something good. People doing something good. It would just stank, you know, what these people were trying to pull off. But the good people of Washington, during the Depression, began to sacrifice. They were kind, and they... They were generous. So these boys could go, and and I'll just tell you, they won the gold medal. Sorry. (laughs) Now, our our calling is the church of Jesus Christ. Our calling is the purposes of God. God wants to bring blessing to people, and that's what the church does. That's what you're doing. You're planting a church and building churches a church and you're investing so much to do it. It's so much more important than a gold medal. It's so glorious. And, and yet, that's just a picture of what a congregation can do when people begin to respond to God's Word. So in verse 14, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, Spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And may he stir us. And they came, and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And this is the result of a word from the Lord, that he would be with them. They, They obeyed, and they worked on the house again. And we know from reading Ezra, they finished it. They completed it. And the sanctuary 
was complete. It was glorious. And as the Lord said, He was with them. May the Lord stir us. May may we believe this morning that as we seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, the Lord will provide everything else. If anyone here is discouraged, I pray the Lord would encourage you. I believe that's His purpose. I, I pray that you'd be encouraged. If you're weary, if you're experiencing uh, opposition, if, you're, if, if any discouraging thoughts, any unbelief has found a place in your soul, may the Lord encourage you this morning. Thus says the Lord of hosts through His Word, Seek my kingdom first. I'll provide everything else. Amen? Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for your word. We're all humbled by your word. We're grateful for your word. And we need your word. And so, Lord, we pray this morning that you would stir our hearts. Even as, as you did in this text, Lord, the, the people, the Jewish people come back to Jerusalem. I pray, Lord, that, that you would stir our hearts. Impart faith to each of us. I I do pray for Cornerstone Church in Knoxville, and I pray for Grace Church in this congregation and all the leaders, Larry and all the folks involved, all the children's ministry workers. May their souls be stirred, and may they hear you say, I am with you. I am pleased. I am glorified. Amen.